Hey, I'm Hendel Leva, and welcome to the Immigration Mike Podcast, where we take you through the journey and story of every guest and the personal reason why they're fighting for immigrants across the nation in their own way. Find all Immigration Mike interviews on the Apple Podcasts now. Ryan <laughs> welcome to episode 96. Yes, it's episode 96 of the Immigration Mike podcast. It is the week of September 16th, and today I am giving you a full episode. I know we've had a couple of bonus episodes recently, but today we are back. But before we get started, I want to talk about Pitchfork Economics podcast and give a special shout out to Annie Felady. Pitchfork Economics is a convention-busting exploration of who gets what and why in the American economy, hosted by Nick Anauer. Each week, Nick is joined by some of the world's most provocative economic and political thinkers, like Yuval Harari, Pramila Jayapal, Robert Reich, Stephanie Kelton, and Cory Booker. Pitchfork Economics explains how the rich and powerful use tax cuts, deregulation, and wage suppression to keep things working in their favor, and that if we don't do something about the rising inequality, the pitchforks will be coming. Pitchfork Economics is on the Young Turks Network and available anywhere you get your podcasts. And that, my friends, is what you call an ad swap. Thank you, Annie, for teaching me what that is. And you'll hear the same thing from Immigration Mike on their most recent episode as well. All right, so let's go over some recent headlines in the immigration conversation. So when we left off on August 7th, ICE had arrested almost 700 people at a Mississippi food processing plant, which was the largest workplace raid in over a decade. On August 15th, it was the seven-year anniversary of when USCIS started accepting applications for those that qualified for DACA. Also on August 15th, a federal appeals court said that the students that were ensnared by ICE at the fake University of Northern New Jersey, which they created in order to find corrupt visa brokers, would be allowed to sue the U.S. government for canceling their visa. Yeah, a few years ago, ICE created a fake university as this thing. Shaking my head. And still, on August 15th, an ICE guard drove his truck through protesters at the Jews Against ICE rally, and he resigned the next day. Then there's news about an undocumented Chinese restaurant worker that was suing for $200,000 in back pay and was arrested by ICE while giving a deposition to a lawsuit, like right in the middle of it. August 22nd, a Catholic diocese worker is being federally prosecuted for stealing from people looking for help on immigration in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Also on August 22nd, according to BuzzFeed, the Justice Department sent immigration judges a white nationalist post with anti-Semitic references. And that's just August. I think I stopped screenshotting there until the news on September 11th that the Supreme Court is allowing the Trump administration to enforce a ban on most asylum seekers arriving at the border. Yeah, so much in one month. I can't even keep up. So, on to today's episode. This is a uh, feel-good story for me. My guest name is Zuli. A couple of years ago, when the podcast was still growing, this young woman reached out to me, having identified with another one of my interviews, and asked me to connect them. As you'll hear in this interview... Zuli took that opportunity and that connection, and today, she has grown to be an active leader in the immigration reform movement here on Long Island. So, here's her story. 
All right, well, it is September 30th, right? August 31st. <laughs> you, see, you see where my mind is at? Okay. So it's August 31st, and I am here with Zule. Um, Zule is someone that reached out to me a couple of years ago uh, through Instagram. I can't remember. I, I, it was through Twitter. Through Twitter. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, as, as I try to always do, I try to connect people to other opportunities, to other groups. And Zule is one of those people that has really benefited. Uh, so, Zule, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you, Handel, for having me on today. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Like I said, you have helped me a lot and you have connected so, me. So, tell me a little more about that because um, just so people can hear what that looked like. Well, um, I remember because I was making the move because I'm originally from California. So um, I remember, you know, I was making the move to come to New York. And, you know, I'm like, I wanted to connect with people that had similar stories. So I heard, you know, a story from Brenda, which I'm really good friends with her now. Um, she works with uh, LISA, which is Long Island Immigrant Student Advocates. Um, here on Long Island and um, you know I heard her story and it was kind of similar to mine so I, I you know was growing and I saw some of your podcasts and some of your interviews and you know I reached out to you and I said hey you know like how, you know I want to connect you know with Brenda and you know obviously through there that's kind of where I'm at now and I'm now a leader of the Hampstead chapter and Lisa, you know, so um, that really helped me and sparked, um, you know, the movement in working with immigrant students. That's so cool. I'm really proud of you. Yeah. I have to say, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Um, so why don't you take me through some of your early story? Okay, so I'm originally from California, uh, Southern California, and then I moved um, to Northern California, like the Bay Area. Um, but, you know, I'm a DACA recipient. So I came to the United States when I was two years old. And, you know, like my, my father migrated here first. Um, you know, to get us started, and you know, he didn't want to bring us all out here, you know, with nothing. From what country? He, I'm from Mexico. Yeah, so um, I'm from Mexico, and obviously he migrated from here, and and he was working, you know, trying to get enough money to have us here and have us all together. Um, because it was me, my other two siblings, and my mom that were back in Mexico. And um, he was here, and, you know, once he got enough money, he got an apartment, he got us, you know, a car, and, you know, we were ready to go. Um, obviously, I don't really remember, you know, uh, being at the border or, or going through, you know, that situation. Um, but it, it kind of, you know, like I always knew as a young age that I wasn't from here. You know, my, my parents didn't really um, hide that from us. So they kind of told us what, what it was, you know, and I really appreciated that because I didn't grow up being lost, you know, because I'm like being undocumented didn't define me and who I was, you know? I'm like, 
you know, I'm a daughter. I'm, I'm an advocate, you know. I, I want to be a better leader, you know. And, and those are things that, that obviously made me who I am today. And it made me stronger as well, too, because... Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, so oh, you have um, down. I, have, I have this. No, I have my key points. Right, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so, you know, that was pretty much, uh, I'm studying to become a social worker. Yeah, so that's what I want to do. Uh, I had made the decision to come here and go to school here. Obviously. Well, take, tell me a little bit about um, growing up in California. What was that like? Oh, okay, so growing up in California is so much different from New York. Uh, you, you wish know. you were back there in California? I, I do. I, I Honestly, I do. You'll become a Long Islander, right? You, 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 one day you'll become a Long Islander. I, I, I think so. I'm like, one day I'm... I, I'm like I'm still adjusting, okay, okay. but you know it's always nice when I go back home and and I get to be with you know family and um, obviously you know the Mexican culture there is very prevalent and very big, you know. So obviously the the Mexican food doesn't taste the same. <laughs> I don't know if you went to California, but it doesn't really taste. I mean, there's great Mexican food. There's also uh, great pupusas over there in Freeport. Uh, so yes, well. Well, I'm sure I haven't had those. But. You haven't. No. Okay, we're, we're gonna go. I know. All right. So, uh, yeah. So growing up in California, you know, I, as you know, it's a very progressive state, and I would think that New York would be there. And when I moved here, it was just like, you know, the Dream Act wasn't implemented. A lot of laws that I was like, you know, obviously we have this back home. So, um, about the state dream act, or? yeah, like the state dream act still hadn't been implemented, you know, here. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously, growing up in California, I, I felt like I always had help, you know, like I always felt like I had, um, you know, the immigrant community there is very close, and especially uh, living in the Bay Area. Um, it, it's almost like a bubble I felt, you know, because I think like the migrant community was so close, they helped each other, um, you know, and growing up, you know, obviously one thing that I always wanted to do was drive, you know, because in California, if you don't have a car, you're not going anywhere, you know, like you're not getting to your destination. Um, so I just remember you know, in high school, like, you know, my friends were, were driving and I wasn't, you know. So, and I didn't have my license, like, I didn't have an ID. Um, so that kind of, you know, pushed me back a little bit. And, and I remember just feeling like I can't do anything. Like, what am I doing, you know? And in high school... I even going to college like I, I took college prep courses I tried to do everything and and for the counselor you know obviously I would go into the counselor's office and they pretty much told me there's nothing that we can do for you like you you have to pretty much go to a two-year you know college and you can't go to a four-year, you know, when my dream was always to go to a four-year university and, 
you know, have that college experience, going to the dorms, you know, and um, and I felt like going into the counseling office, it kind of got shut down, you know, and, and it kind of, it did have an impact in my life because I ended up going to a two-year college, you know, and it, it kind of pushed me back because I'm like, if I knew what I knew now, then I think it would would have been different, you know. But but you know, growing up, um, my parents left actually right after I graduated high school, so I was 17, 18 years old. So like my my mom and my dad had to make a tough decision because my grandma's health was not so good, and my mother hadn't seen her mother for over 14 years so she sat down with us and she pretty much told us hey you know like we're gonna go back and I remember like I was older you know I understood because I as a Hispanic family I felt like obviously your parents take care take care of you when you you know when you're little and it's your duty as a daughter to now take care of your mother, you know, when she, when she can't anymore, you know. So I, I understood it. And, you know, they last in 2010. So it's been over almost nine years since I haven't seen my parents. So, and... And it did make um, it hard because obviously after they left, it was pretty much like I was on my own. You know, obviously your parents help you and what they can. But after they left, obviously I, I worked since I was 16. So, you know, I've always had, you know, I was always a little more independent. Um, but obviously not having that support was, you know, very difficult for me. So, you know, and not even seeing my parents for that long, you know, but I understood their choice. And, you know, especially with the political climate now, obviously, I feel like it was a good decision for them, you know, because I felt like they would have been living in fear, you know, all the time. You know, and and part of the reason why I I work, you know, and do what I I do, and it's because I want to be a voice for those that can't really speak for themselves, you know, like my parents and you know my my aunts and uncles, you know, those that don't really have that voice or feel like they don't have that voice. So, tell me, what are you passionate about besides activism? Besides, um, you know, this kind of work, like, what are you into? Like, what do you enjoy? Um, in college, I actually played tennis. Okay. So I really enjoyed playing tennis. And I, I want to go to the U.S. Open because I know that it's going on right now. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, one of my dreams is to see Serena. So, okay. you know, that's... I, I'm so into sports. I love sports. I what love are the sports you like? Basketball. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Golden State Warriors? Uh, no, the Lakers. Yeah. Why? Why the Lakers? Kobe. Kobe's just the GOAT. Like, he's okay. just, 
you know, he's... So you've always been a Lakers fan? I've always been a Lakers fan. Okay. Yeah. I've always, I mean, although when the, the Warriors were, you know, in the finals, I was kind of rooting for them you against the Raptors. You were Yeah, you know, and, and, and Golden State Warrior uh, games, I recommend it to anybody. Like, uh, go, Actually, I went to the season opener um, last year, like right after, I mean, they had won the trophy. Then came the season opener. They presented the trophy there, and then the Raptors like killed them by the end. I so, know. Yeah. Oh, oh, you were there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh wow. They, they gave out free T-shirts. Um, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So Oracle is like crazy. Well, they're moving. They're moving. Yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of sad because uh, it was closer to my house. It was in Oakland. So now you know you have to cross the bridge right, San to, right. to San Francisco, yeah. and you know it's. They're gonna make a lot more money. Obviously, the you know the techs are there, so they're gonna spend crazy amount of money. So, there. so what are the sports or like what are their interests? Um, so yeah, so I play tennis on my um, free time. I you know I like to exercise too to get my mental state you know in check. <laughs> so, Is it more just cardio or yeah, cardio? I, I do cardio and then I do a lot of HIIT training which is yeah. high intensity yeah. interval training. Um, I, you know, I take classes and, you know, that's kind of, uh, as I'm getting older, I'm like, you know, I have to kind of pay attention to my health now and what I eat and what, you know, obviously um, uh, staying active. You know, because it's good for your mental state and, you know, obviously it makes you feel good about yourself. So that's something that um, I enjoy. Um, How about, um, tell me about your interest in social work. Where does that come from? So my passion, especially, you know, is helping others. It, and, and now, you know, I work with... Um, I work for a health center. Pretty much, you know, they they help undocumented, you know, people that don't have insurance, people that you know don't have income, you know, and we provide them with you know high quality care. Um, so I always felt passionate about helping people, and because I always think about my parents, like what if that you know, they're a mother, they're a daughter their sister you know and I I always think like what if that was my family you know like and I've always been passionate about about that and especially working with the youth because I think that that's where it's gonna grow you know the youth is very important and and to help educate, you know, them and know that they could go to college, you know, and that's why I work with LISA, um, you know, with Long Island Immigrant Student Advocates is because I want to be able to, for them not to go through what I went through. So, and I, I kind of want to guide them, you know, on the right path and let them know, you know, it's, it's possible, like you can do this. Um, so that's part of, you know, my, my work and what I, you know, tell myself every day. So. Cool. And so um, before we get into some of the specific projects or initiatives you worked on, um, since, you know, you said we connected in 2016, let's talk a little bit about the 2016 election. Um, what comes to your mind when 
to my mention space 16. Oh. I. Somebody spilled something. Yeah. Just, just, it was right on cue. That it sounds like you heard that somebody spilled something that somebody said 2016. And, right? Yeah, that's so true. Right? Now, okay, so the 2016 election, I just remember. It was a sad year. <laughs> it was a very, very sad year. And I actually remember, you know, the 2016 election very vivid, vividly. Um, I actually was working with ACE Action, which is um, Alliance for uh, Californians. Um, it's Alliance for, for Californians for Community Empowerment. Um, so they, I pretty much canvas I was canvassing and you know getting people out there to vote you know that was my main thing I was like you know people need to get out there and vote because if they don't you know we will know the outcome of it you know did you did you see this coming like this result that we had no I didn't you know because um you know I knew that obviously he was you know, rising up on the polls, um, but I never, I never would have thought that he was going to win, you know, I just remember, um, I remember, you know, obviously Hillary was up, you know, for, for a bit, and, and then they just announced him being president, and I just remember, I went to a poll worker's house, and, uh, you know, that I worked with through, through Ace Action, and, uh, you know, we just looked at each other and we're like, wow. And I started crying because I'm like, what does that mean for my future? What does it mean for all the other children here and youth? And, and you know, not for my, just myself, because I, at that time I felt, you know, I, I'm older. You know, like I, I grew up knowing that I was undocumented and I was, I'm like, I could do it. You know, I, I feel like I could be a voice, but I felt like those children and those youth didn't have a voice from now, you know, so it was, it was difficult. And I just remember like, wow, you know, like I did all this work and, and people just didn't care. You know, I, I remember canvassing and just people slamming the door on me, you know. But I'm like, you know, I have to keep going because if I don't, then obviously we, you know, that we knew what the outcome would be, you know. And, and uh, this organization kind of based, um, you know, they, they help minorities and fight social injustices and racism and and that's what we were fighting for you know and just to hear that it was it was a big loss for us so and I decided to move to New York part of the reason why well I mean my fiance was here <laughs> but that's a nice ring by the way <laughs> thank you so you know um, I met him in California, so, uh, but he kind of convinced me to move to New York, and I was kind of convinced myself, because 
um, I knew that New York was like the melting pot of, you know, diversity. And being, you know, that I was um, an inspired social worker, I was like, you know, I feel if I was to get my education there, I would gain a lot of experience. And I have, you know. Um, but like I said before, I just would think that there was going to be more help, you know, and and coming from a progressive state, it was a big change for me, you know. I try to do, like, my due diligence and, and try to talk to, you know, the college, the colleges that I wanted to go to to see, you know, obviously what help is there for me. They pretty much just said, uh, we don't know. <laughs> They're like, um, you're probably going to have to pay out-of-state tuition, which I knew, you know, obviously, um, coming, going to a different state, obviously, I knew that I, I had to pay out-of-state tuition, but I'm like, you, you know, maybe there's going to be a little bit more help, but um, I remember just going to the counselor's office, and they pretty, you know, I explained them my situation, and they pretty much told me the same thing that my counselor in high school told me, you know? Um, and they didn't know where direction to pull me through, you know. And um, and is this here in New York? Yeah, it was here in New York. Yeah, it was here in New York. So um, pretty much, they just didn't, you know, tell me which direction to go to or anything. So part of the reason I'm like, you know, I'm gonna have to do this on my own. You know, it's and um, and I got into Hunter College, so that was like my first choice. Because <laughs> um, you know, obviously they're big on, on social worker uh, social work, and so I was kind of you know I had my other options, but obviously um, Hunter was my first, so I I went with Hunter. Um, but from the beginning, it was kind of funny because the counselor was like, "Are you sure you want to go to Hunter?" She's like, um, they don't really help, you know, students your, in your situation. They pretty much told me, like, they don't, you know, you're pretty much on there on your own. Like, I'm sorry. You know, like, are you sure you want to go there? And I'm like, that's so crazy, like, to think that, you know, she would tell me that. So, um, you know, I decided to go and... and and, I mean, I'm still working on, you know, finishing up my degree, but it's just been a little rocky, obviously, since at that time the DREAM Act hadn't been implemented here in New York, um, and it was already active in California. So here in New York, um, obviously, uh, through LISA, I, you know, we, ad we were advocating to have the DREAM Act passed. And finally, this year, it did pass. Um, obviously, it wasn't... Um, so there's the state DREAM Act, and then the, there's the federal DREAM Act. So the, the federal DREAM Act, you know, obviously, we were pushing for that one only because it's, you know, it creates a pathway to citizenship for, you know, for, for the students. Um, so I just, I just want to give a quick shout-out to um, State Senators Jessica Ramos, Alessandro Biagi, who have been a part of the podcast before who were part of voting for the uh, New York State Dream Act. So just wanted to give a shout out to my friends, the state senators. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, 
So. Well, why don't, t- tell me a little, now a little bit. All right, so you discovered the podcast, right? You listened to a couple of these bad episodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like from the story. Uh, I connect with you guys. What happened from there in terms of like your introduction into this work? Yes. So. Um, so okay. So a little bit of background of what of what I do and you know through LISA, which is the Long Island Immigrant Student Advocates, like I said. Um, they, you know, obviously they they pretty much introduced me to. Well, let me go back. Um, so LISA is a nonprofit, you know, non for profit organization that gears students you know, for higher education, uh, no matter, you know, their status and no matter where they come from, you know, we, we want to, uh, reach, um, education equality, you know, so we want, you know, equality for education for all, no matter if you're undocumented or not. Yeah, are Um, you reading an essay now? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's my essay. I think... You know, usually I, I don't have people prepare, but you came with key points and a whole essay. So I know. I know. Um, so, so like like I said, throughout New York, like I was able to find different organizations that, you know, have helped the immigrant community. Um, I was introduced to Liza. I was introduced to Cares in New York. Um, so those were pretty much organizations who, have, you know, that have helped undocumented immigrants. And when I started working with LISA, I we got into the topic of unaccompanied minors. You know, you know, as you know, Donald Trump came to Long Island, you know, with an agenda that obviously, um, all, like you said, you know, Mexicans are rapists, and that. I mean, he held his campaign rally a hundred steps from where Marcelo Cerro was murdered in Patchogue, so... Yeah, yeah, so it was just, you know, obviously, and and he came with an agenda saying, you know, obviously MS-13, and, you know, they, they, uh, he had, um, I think, what it was called, the the Matador, uh, what did they call it? Yeah, so after he came um, to Long Island, obviously, um, they were targeting, you know, young students in high school and pretty much, um, you know, just because they wore a different, you know, certain color or threw up a peace sign. So you're talking about um, possible gang affiliation? Right, right. So, um, so a lot of the work that we do too is that you know we met a lot of you know students who were unaccompanied minors, you know, and that had been targeted targeted by you know Donald Trump's you know um, agenda. So you know, and it was simple as throwing a peace sign, like, and you know, obviously, what they wanted to implement is have you know police in the in the schools you know and obviously the police were kind of connected to ICE I mean obviously they didn't want people to know that but it ended up happening what ended up happening was that obviously the these kids would get written up and then 
um, next thing you know, they're not with their families anymore. They were ripped apart from their families and, putting in, and put in detention centers. You know, and it's like, it was pretty much hard to think. Like, you know, you send your children off to school and you think that they're safe and you think that, you know, um, they're, they're, you know, being taken care of. And then just to know that next thing you know, you don't have your son, you don't have your daughter, you know, over something so simple that, you know, that that felt just because the color of their skin, that that's what they were doing, you know that they were in games and that, you know, they were affiliated. Um, so it was just, to see that kind of was a little heartbreaking. You know, I was a little heartbroken. Because you're, you're working directly, you're speaking directly to the students, right? Right. So we, yeah, so we go to high schools and we pretty much present and just let them know, you know, the, the, the help is here. You know, obviously steer, steer them away from, from, you know, the games and try to push them to the right direction. Obviously, a lot of, like I said, like the uncompanied minors um, come here with nobody, you know, with no parents. So, obviously, their their family, I feel, is the game. You know, they form a family through there, but it's, it's almost like what we want to instill is that, you know, through lifestyle, you could also have a family. You know, you could you could also be um, you know go to college. You know, you could still go to college whether you're you're undocumented or not. You know, you could do it. So that's pretty much what we we target when we go to the high schools is because you know we tell them like, you know you, and it's and it's a little bit difficult to gain that trust. You know, because obviously especially now it's it's kind of like you have to watch what you say and you know you, um, sometimes even me I'm scared to talk about you know our president but you know I'm like that's the thing it's, it's difficult because like I, I was having this conversation like you, you just you just never know who's around who supports it right it could be your same skin color and like be, you know, yeah, yeah. I had a friend who um, she she didn't say that she voted for for him, you know, for Donald Trump until after, and she, you know, told me, and she's like, now I regret it, you know. Now I, know? she was black, yeah, she was black. So she, you know, she was like, you know, now I regret voting for him, and it was like. Wow, like. But still, I think like the good thing about in this kind of work is like in the work that you're doing and when you're organizing, you're able to bring these narratives to other people, and there is the opportunity to bring people back. Yeah, right, right, and that's what we we want to be relevant and say, hey, the work is not done. You know, we still have a lot to do because the 2020 election is coming up and it's right around the corner. And we and I, I feel like this year is where we need to work, you know, the hardest. So tell me, um, you know, you have, so you have the in-school presentations, you have the um, work directly with the youth. Um, what other initiatives do you do? Or 
Yes, so obviously since... Um, and pay for the New York State Dream Act. So part of the work that we do is um, we organize forums to, you know, to the community explaining their, you know, know your we do our Know Your Rights campaigns um, and what precautions to take if ICE is present. Um, you know, we, we hold different events uh, like that. Um, we also have workshops um, for students, like obviously to apply for scholarships and, and through LISA, um, if you volunteer and you get community service hours and, and obviously that kind of helps the students as well have something on the resume. Um, and uh, we, we have scholarships for them as well. So um, even working with LISA, you're able to have a scholarship. I know I benefited from it. So yeah, so I, I know I benefited from you know working with LISA, and they were able to get me scholarships as well. Um, and then we, you know, obviously we we connect with people to kind of better understand their situation. You know, um, because obviously laws often change. So we they change to Twitter every day. Uh, yeah, right every day, right? So it's like and we have. Well, one thing I do want to say is, and I said this on the podcast I just did. Um, even if you came through the system, even if you did everything right, the way that laws are changing, the way that the ways that they're trying to cut down on naturalization, on legal immigrants coming in, like no one is safe. No one is safe no. from this administration. No, it's and it's crazy. Even if you think you have a green card, that could be revoked. You know, it. No, I feel the same way. Like I just don't feel safe, and I don't. There was just the the young man who um. They looked through his social media. And he was critical of the U.S. government, and they had him deported. I think he was going to Harvard. Oh, wow. But yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and and it's and it's true. My my fiance always tells me like you gotta be careful what you say, and 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 it's like I I understand, and I get it. But I'm like the work. I'm like sometimes I try to take just shut off social media and not read anything, and. But then again, I'm like, if I let this go, if I just not say anything, then it's going to become normalized. It's going to be like, oh, you know, he said another thing. Oh, let's go on with our day. You know, when it shouldn't. And it's not okay. You know, it's not okay that he's saying things like this. It's not okay that this administration is, you know, being, um, you know, against women women of color, you know, immigrants, and, and it's not okay, so it's, we have to say something, you know, and we can't just stay quiet. Also, what I realized is that, like, providing help does, it doesn't, we can't always rely on that, um, and not just one person, you know, could do it, we need a whole community to come together, um, you know, to to make it to make change you know because I always say it's better um, to be united than separated so I think that's a good segue I, w- I want to ask you um, 
how have you seen develop over these past couple of years since you reached out to me and you know you got into this? How have you developed? Because you say you're a chapter leader now, you know. Um, what do you think has been your personal development in that sense? Well, obviously, it was it was funny because before I I wasn't used to speaking in front of people. You know, I always was afraid and I kind of shut down like I didn't want people to know that you're very I, confident also yeah <laughs> thank you and and that was part of you know my progression you know because I wasn't you know I I wasn't confident within myself you know I I didn't feel like I could share my story and and you know I kind of felt silenced you know for for a while and I was embarrassed even you know share my story um and um but then I'm like you know what like it it's not who I am like I said you know it's not it doesn't define me so I when when I first you know came here and and listening to your podcast and 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 all of that I was able you know, like obviously before I wasn't able to speak in front of people, you know, obviously I did class presentations in front of 30 people, you know, but now I speak in front of 500 people, you know, so now it's, it really has helped me develop um, my confidence, you know, the way that I speak. Um, Obviously college teaches you all of that, but I feel like they don't, you know, obviously working for an organization you're actually doing the work you know and everything that I do is all volunteered um so I really you know want to put my 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 heart and soul into this because this is like this is really important to me and it has developed me personally um you know in my career also because I was able to connect with you know mutuals uh, with social workers with counselors with teachers and and being allies with them and um, you know obviously you know volunteering my time has also helped me with my career you know and, and personal development um, so so it, it and and staying close to the youth and staying close to people that that share my same similar interest and um, you know almost have the same story it it kind of it, it helps me and it builds my confidence to be like hey you can do it too. Well, we're getting to the end of the podcast. Um, well, I'm glad to have you on episode 96 of the podcast. <laughs> we're about to reach 100, and I think this is a great story that really helps show the power of podcasts beyond commercial success and as a driver of social and cultural functions. I totally stole that off of the event description <laughs> for November 13th. Um, but uh, I really appreciate you sharing this. Um, what are some words of advice that you have for people listening to this podcast? Um, just from your story. Just some words of advice. Um, don't give up. Um, there's always there's always a positive to every negative, you know, and um, and that there's always 
something to look forward to, you know. And uh, any last words for the podcast before we sign off? Uh, I just want to say thank you, Hindel, again, uh, because you really did spark my interest in becoming an advocate and listening to, you know, all those stories of, you know, all those stories have really helped me and developed me personally as well, you know, not just through the work that I do now, but it, it sparked a major interest, you know, and thank you for doing the work that you do. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I think after hearing that, I was planning to retire after 100 episodes, but I guess I can't now. <laughs> now you can't. I can't. You, you can't stop. Well, thank you so much, Zuli. It's an amazing full circle moment to know that I played a part in all the work you're doing now. So thank you for sharing your story with all of us. And so here's how you can be a part of this, this movement in immigration and also in podcasting. I'm telling you, take the day off November 13th and come watch the 100th live episode celebration at Hofstra University. Not only are the guests going to be amazing, including my mentee, Eliana Fernandez, who will be returning from spending a few days at the Supreme Court deliberations on the future of DACA, but also former guest and part of the Grammy award-winning album American Dreamers, Daniela Vieira, will be there to perform. And then myself and Vice Dean Mario Murillo will be discussing the evolution of the podcast on stage but we are inviting so many amazing audience members that you'll be able to network with. So come for a night of entertainment and meet people interested in immigration reform as well as podcasting. Very, very limited spaces available for this taping. Register at immigrationmike100.eventbrite.com.